Welcome to our next episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. This is Bob Mosier, one of the many co-hosts you'll meet throughout this series. So friends, are you trying to learn more about the Five Moments of Need? Maybe how to design for them, implement for them, measure them and even sell them as an approach to your enterprise. Well, in the Performance Matters series, we will help you better understand the theory and best practices behind this powerful methodology and offer proven ways to put the five moments of need into practice. Okay, friends, welcome back to yet another Performance Matters. Bob Mosier here, and I am incredibly thrilled and excited this go around to be joined by my dear friend and other co-host, Dr. Khan Gafferson. How are you, Khan? Terrific, Bob. As always, this is a lot of fun. And a good topic, a very timely topic. Today, we're going to talk about what we think is a strategy matters session. This is a really oncoming topic, although it's frankly quite a dated one. This time, we're going to talk about what we're calling content management, but version 2.0. This is something that goes back in our industry forever ago. We talked about content management as long as I've been involved in the business, but particularly with COVID and pandemic, the reality of not just collecting content, dissemination, the maintenance, who creates it, who owns it, what's your governance around it, all these crazy things have come to light in a really remarkable way as we try to support learners in a moment of need like never before and in a workflow that has been tumultuous and crazy to say the very least. So, Con, let's pull back here a little bit and try to level set this, in my opinion, my friend, just like a lot of things in our industry, this is a world like performance support and others where the definition is kind of all over the place. So could you tell us, we've got LMSs that manage content, LCMS, content management system itself. If people are on this call go back enough, we had content management systems at one time, maybe still do. What is the discipline, in your opinion, that is learning content management? Well, you've said it right. It is a discipline, first and foremost. And learning content management is that discipline or that set of practices that we follow to manage our content along its entire life cycle, to keep it current, certainly, but more than that, to keep it vibrant and meaningful and to manage it in such a way that it doesn't manage and control us which is where we've kind of gotten these days as we've stepped into the workflow and as we've pushed the horizons in terms of what it is that we need to do to meet the performance requirements of organizations at all five moments of need. It has brought us squarely back to days gone by (laughs) when we made our first pass at Learning Content Management 1.0 with reusable learning objects, where we made all the wrong decisions, all the wrong choices, and stepped back from it. So content management is everything that we do to manage content through its life cycle. And a learning content management system is is technology and a system that helps us do that. All of that is different than a learning management system, which is a system that manages the learning deliverables that we build with that content. Mm -hmm. And knowledge management is just a bigger world. Content management is a subset of knowledge management. Learning content management is a subset of content management. We're just narrowing down in terms of our focus. Brilliant. And and we talked before, Con, that the danger of anything like this is methodology or discipline, in this case, begets technology. 
Yeah. Just because you own and have purchased one of those acronyms doesn't mean that you're going to have the discipline that is content management. And, and one of my favorite expressions is if you don't study history, you're deemed to repeat it. So yeah. let's take a step back, Con. You mentioned a moment ago that things went awry a bit in the first go around. Let's kind of balance ourselves as we look forward on understanding where we may have made some mistakes in the first go around. Where, what do you think were some fundamental lessons learned out of those initial efforts? Well, one of them is that we didn't step back and ask the right questions up front. Why are we doing this? And the goal back in content management 1.0 was reuse, but we were looking for reuse in all the wrong places. And in reality now, we're at a better place because we're talking about supporting people in terms of performance. Mm. And as we take this broader view of our role in ensuring that people can perform effectively on the job, and that is providing them then solutions that not only help in the initial learning of things, but in that transition where they need to transfer that to the moment of apply, to the moments of of solve, and into the workflow. That broadens the world to where we can find reuse everywhere. But it's not just about reuse. It's about keeping content current, making sure that also the solutions that we have remain vibrant and meaningful. There is just so much more to the management of content than just finding ways to reuse. We're working right now with a global organization in their content management strategy, and they've got a lot of pain points in their world of developing content. And certainly we want to address that, but the real justification for content management isn't solving the problems within the learning group. It's solving challenges for the organization. Mm -hmm. You know, it's making sure that the organization has the content that they need and the form that they need to be able to do their work in all the ways that they need to. And when we step back and look at that role, then we can cost justify that investment, which, by the way, doesn't have to begin with an LCMS, with the technology. We can begin preparing our content and managing content without an LCMS. That's a great place when you get there and when you can justify getting there. But there's much that we need to be doing way ahead of that. So you touched on this a little bit there, Con, but let's go a bit deeper. How does designing for the five moments impact the need for content management? How does it broaden it to your point? Well, so historically, our view has been just the moments of learn new, really the moment of learn new. We have the moment of learn more, although that isn't understood in the world of learning, the differences there. But however you look at the formal side of learning, that's all we've had. And so we've had e-learning and we have face-to-face and virtual now is a, a big deal. And those are big deals. But until all of that ends up at the moment of apply when people can perform effectively on the job, if that doesn't happen, what good have you done? Why even manage anything if you get to the end of that and people can't perform effectively on the job? There's the discipline of this formal learning that we have, that we've got down, but there's also the discipline of performance support and pulling that together as we then ensure that people can perform effectively on the job and improve that performance over time, continuous performance improvement. When we look at that broader role, 
that's the five moments. Change, solve, apply, learn new, learn more. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting too, Con, because I, I think back to the early days and meta-tagging, which is still an element of this clearly, was more about role and the knowledge that the content passed on and so on. The five moments adds, I think, some pretty important layers around the tagging of that content. For instance, the five moments themselves, content types and objects can be used for solve, like an FAQ, very different than an e-learning might be for a moment of new. So it's really interesting to see how we can start adding a new dimension of learner need, learner context to the way content is managed and tagged versus just my role in the company, my job in the company, my region I live in, you know, these these more standard meta tags and so on. And of course, the, the content is about sales or whatever. Yeah. Those are all still fundamental. But I think the five moments of need adds a whole new dimension to that as to how oh, we should look at content. It sure does. And the focus historically has been those values that you're talking about, those metadata values that have to do with help me find it. Right. And, and if that's the only thing you're going at, you're going to miss it because there's a whole measurement side. When you step into the five moments, you step into measurable business impact and there are measurable sides. There's the life cycle, managing the life cycle. There's the managing the different types of deliverables that you need to have. And all of this requires unique kinds of metadata beyond that, that metadata we use to just simply find something. You know, it's funny because I love that kind of because, frankly, you know, an aha I just had is that it's one thing to find it. It's a whole other thing to use it. Oh, yeah. So for years, the meta tag was to find it based on yeah. who I was, where I what, you know, what my job was, again, the region I worked in, where I was in the sales cycle, maybe blah, blah, blah. But that did nothing but serve up a whole lot of assets that the learner was then left to their own demise half the time to fumble through. Yeah. If we add the five moments and a need-based view of it and a context-based look at it, the use of that content, the kind of need that content type meets, again, a job aid versus a video versus an FAQ, they could all be on the exact same content area for the same role. But we have found through the five moments lens that you use and apply those content types very different than just finding them. Yeah, and you know, we've been talking about personalized learning forever, right? Mm. Well, content management opens the door to personalized content, personalized deliverables, thereby personalized learning across the five moments of need. And you're not going to ever get to personalized without really figuring out how to make that happen with the content itself. So can personalized learning Part of it is us trying to. I think, frankly, that's one place we've missed the mark in the first place is that, to me, the definition of personalized learning at the individual level is defined by the person. Yeah. (laughs) You know, how do I know what you need when or how your role may be changing? I should create a framework with which you can assess and, to our point a moment ago, use these things. But let's foray in a bit into user-generated content. The early days of content management didn't really address this at all. A lot of it because the user didn't, frankly, have the wherewithal or the technology to do it. But with the advent of the world we live in now from mobile through everything else, there is an overabundance compared to our own stuff of user-generated content. How do we get our arms around that and what role should they or do they play in all of this? 
Oh, well, it's vital. You know, we're at a point of time now where the workforce is shifting. We've got a, a major part of our workforce who have the greatest amount of experience starting to transition out of the workplace. And as that happens, we've got to have some way of capturing it. This is something that we've talked about and organizations have talked about it forever, capturing the intellectual capital of the organization. But content management, when it's paired up with the discipline of performance support, particularly a digital coach or an EPSS, opens the door to our capacity to mine the experience of the workforce, not just the knowledge, but the experience. Because when we talk about performance, behind performance is experience. Behind the moment of solve is experience. Mm. Behind the moment of apply is experience. Behind the moment of change is experience. And as we identify those unique types of content and then open the door for people to contribute their own lessons learned, to contribute their own answers to questions, and then have a mechanism that allows us to manage that, to ensure that as we open that up out to the rest of the community where it makes sense that we're vetting it, all of that is within the realm of content management today. And that requires us to step into the technology world to begin to manage all of that because you need a strong workflow management capability in your learning content management solution. You know, what's interesting, Khan, I was recently looking at some fact-finding that was being done when 200 learners were interviewed from across the globe. Not L&D, not the managers, not line of business, not senior management, not HR, but learners trying to survive in the pandemic in the world we're in today. And one interesting behavior emerged that I think is very relevant here is that out of desperation comes a degree of risk and a degree of courage, if you will. And learners are fending for themselves in ways they've never had to before. The infrastructure as concrete as a building or as abstract as just social groups that I used to just naturally work with in a building or a company are gone. They were ripped out from underneath people back in March of this year. And so learners, of course, looked at our stuff. We did our best to get our stuff to them. But a lot of our traditional tools, i.e. LMS and others, just didn't have enough in it. It just it wasn't the kind of resource they needed. And so learners have done a remarkable job of not maliciously, but intentionally going around us. And they are finding and creating every day at the desktop remarkable tools and job aids and videos to help them and their peers survive. And I think, Con, there's a remarkable content management opportunity coming out of this to mine all of that. How do we vet and find out the gold nuggets that are out there that are being accelerated and created every day that weren't before? I think that's a really important role and job for not just content management, but L&D to step up and own coming out of this thing. Oh, yeah. The good news is it's not going to change. As the age level and the learning dispositions of the workforce begin to shift and the old folks like me begin to, to step away from the workforce and our younger learners step in, that's what they're going to demand. Uh, and, and if L&D doesn't shift 
to step into that world, they're going to find themselves left standing. Yeah. They really are. Because organizations and those learners, those performers will find their own way and it will be around us. And I think you bring up a remarkable point, Con, and that is that whether they realize it or not, this situation we are in is creating an independent and courageous learner. Yeah. They, are, they just have to be. I heard a, 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 one of the interviews and one of the learning leaders I talked to a while back say that we went from survive to thrive. It didn't happen overnight. And if you question some learners, they may not agree with the thrive word, uh, at least not from the life they live every day, but in many ways they have. And so I totally agree with you. That's not going away. You don't take that ability, that level of courageousness, that level of self-efficacy that is being taught throughout this and just turn it off. And so our ability to harness and step up to that and continue to enable that opportunity and that wonderful new learner that will emerge, I think is a huge part of content management and almost all that we do. So friend, governance and maintenance. I knew maintenance of my content, you know, i.e. versioning of my course or the latest upgrade to my e-learning because the content changed or, you know, that kind of stuff. There is a natural cycling and evolution of content. But I think when you step into content management as a discipline, governance as a word and a discipline, maintenance as a discipline become make or break it for this thing in many ways over the long haul. What is your take on what those words mean in the world we live in today with this discipline? Well, in reality, you're not going to really get to the level of governance that you need without learning content management in place. See, governance begins to really become vital to us when we step into the workflow, because that's not our turf. Mm. The workflow belongs to the organization. It belongs to the business. They're managing that, not L&D. And so the learning, learning development, as long as we could stay on our own little turf, have people stop their work and come to us, and we can have full control and manage it all. And uh, everything is nice and we can maintain it and keep it because we'll just do that quarterly or annually or whatever because it's our turf and we can manage it. That's no longer the case. The workflow is where learning really happens and we're stepping into the workflow. And so we have to form a partnership with the business, with the line of business, and they have to own what it is that we're helping them do. And that ownership and that relationship has to be defined and then it has to be managed in a, a responsible way mm. or the, the business will reject it. There's some educating that needs to happen because they've become accustomed to our saying, hey, we'll take care of it all. You just give it all, all to us and we'll take care of it. And that opens up a whole set of challenges. So that's governance. And goodness gracious, we've got to somehow be able to manage and team with them in the creation of content, in the maintaining of that content, but also in the nature and the value of the deliverables that we have. And because the world is ever changing in the workplace, we need learning content management that helps us be agile enough to not just keep content current, but keep our solutions vibrant, as I've talked about, and meaningful. And that requires the, to adjust them and to adapt them on the flow. We can't be caught in rigid set of deliverables. We just can't, not with the need for organizations to learn 
ahead of the speed of change. You know, when you shift to five moments of need design, you get out of the mindset of class, lesson, chapter, e-learning, VILT. The modality becomes second nature to the core elements of the design, which is first and foremost, the workflow. And Con, there is a, a discipline in that wonderful methodology that I think impacts content management in a huge way, and it's critical skills analysis. Yeah. I think it's pivotal, Con, to not just the creation of a five moments blended initial solution, but is a very pragmatic, defendable way that I think speaks to a lot of the ownership issues and stuff you said a moment ago around keeping content current and deciding why and and in what cadence. Can you tell us a bit more about that and how it fits? Yeah, well, content is not created equal. All content is not equal in its vitality and relevance to the moments of apply, change, solve, learn new, and learn more. And critical impact of failure analysis is all about looking at content and saying, what is the critical impact of failure if this content isn't understood or applied properly? And that's huge, figuring that out, because sometimes we spend too much time on things that are less valuable, less crucial to enabling people to perform effectively and enabling the organization to perform effectively than other things. The things that matter least sometimes take over the things that matter most, and we've got to be able to sort it all out. Critical impact of failure analysis helps us do that. It helps us look at and assess our current deliverables and figure out what our future deliverables ought to be now and then evolve them over time. Because behind those deliverables is the importance of the content and how vital that content is. Bob, this is especially the case in a change strategy. All changes are not created equal. And so if a change is going to impact in a significant way the degree in which the organization can function effectively, and if the cost is going to be significant to that, well, we better have a different approach and how we sustain change there than change where, well, if you make a mistake, you're going to learn from it and we can recover from it and be okay. That's a very different proposition than, you know, this is going to create long-term harm to the reputation of the organization if this content change isn't woven into the fabric of the performance of our people. Mm-hmm. So friends, let's kind of wrap up here with a couple of things. And, I, and again, we've in, I think we've intensely saved this to last because of our fundamental belief that technology is not the tail that wags the dog. Everything we've talked about to this point is. But ultimately, we both are huge advocates of the fact that technologies, especially the ones available today, are remarkable enablers of a discipline like this and getting things to the workflow quickly, currently, governance. All these things can be helped by Technology, but kind of the reality is we live in a world where there's a lot. Back when when I first started looking at a CMS and an LMS and so on, there were really kind of four or five acronyms. Now we've got SharePoint, websites, external sites, social platforms. People have their own content on their own desktops or in some kind of of team site or you know these types of stuff. How does content management get its arms around all of that, and, or and or how does maybe an EPSS play a role in that? Great question and issue that you raised, Bob. Content management applies everywhere. 
the fundamental principles of content management begins with structure, where you identify a consistent structure for your content, a specific type of content, like a task. If every task is structured differently in your organization, you don't have content management. As you bring a consistent structure, information structure to your procedures or to your FAQs or to your lessons learned, whatever the type of content that you're dealing with, you impose a consistent structure across those, a meaningful structure, you're at the bedrock. And whether that is delivered via SharePoint or a company website or external content, that lifts the ship, Mm. that lifts you off the ground. It's such a crucial part because technology is only as smart as that structure. And so long before you move into an LCMS, you need to be structuring your content. And that is something that you can do today. If you want to then begin to employ true content management capabilities beyond that, you know, single source publishing, all of that, that requires some intentional technology. But at the heart of it, this content structure, that belongs everywhere. Perfect. And that's kind of a great segue into our last question, Con, is that this is a lot. This discipline has been around forever. It's only gotten larger. It's only gotten more complex based on all the factors we've talked about today, from pandemic to methodology to technology. And we recently did a content management discussion with another group that I host, and well over half still had no content management strategy at all, let alone a technology. It was scared all of the enterprise. We still don't have our arms around this. To get to the places you've described is the goal, but those listening, what do you do first? What are some recommendations and takeaways from all this for folks to get fundamentally started outside of, for instance, the one you just mentioned, which is to better understand content structures fundamentally that can be done ahead of anything else? What are some things you'd recommend to get folks started? We've got to bring order to the chaos of what we create today. In developing a learning content management strategy, we do two things. We do a current state analysis where we look at your current state and we look at all of your deliverables, all the different things that an organization is building and ask a very important question. What is the contribution value of of these different things that we build and create? Mm. And then we do a future state analysis where looking at the five moments of need framework How can you consolidate these together and create your core deliverables that support people across the five moments of need in that broader infrastructure that we talk about, training and then transfer and then sustain? And, you know, none of that requires technology. It just requires getting our act together. So figuring out how do we most efficiently and effectively meet the needs of performance at all five moments of need in our organization. And when you've figured that out and you start to structure your content and build to that end, then there comes a moment in time where you can cost justify the investment in the learning content management practices that require technology. Excellent. Thanks, my friend. As always, we can go on forever with these things. Yeah. Giving you some food for thought. We'd love to hear comments, feedback from this podcast after you know how to reach us. But let's keep this conversation going. This like measurement is a elephant in the room. It's been in this industry forever. 
It's one we really have to get our arms around. And coming out of this world, we keep talking about this, with the amount of content coming at us and that's being made out there that we've talked about throughout this podcast, if we don't begin to put a stake in the ground in this discipline, we're going to get left either behind or continue to be seen as not valuable because we're not linking content to performance. And that's, in the end, what we have to be good at, right? That is so true. Just one caution, and that is that there are lots of voices out there, uh, you know, uh, lots of technologies saying we do learning content management, lots of different approaches and so forth, a lot of mistakes being made. And so we'll do our best to share out with you some guidance and guidelines to help you avoid that quicksand, getting caught up in it. But hopefully today what we shared with you is a start. A perfect segue into what could be content management version 2.0 part two. Thanks, my friend, Con. Great having you on here as always. We look forward to reaching out to all of you. Be safe, be well, and we'll talk soon. Well, that's it for this episode of the Five Moments of Need Performance Matters series. We look forward to future conversations around how to best put the five moments of need into practice. We welcome your feedback and can be reached on Twitter using my Twitter handle at BMOSH as well as our Five Moments of Need website, which is www.5momentsofneed.com. We hope you're finding these helpful and we'll subscribe to future episodes. Have a great day, friends.